Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Oval Roach.
Okay. We had a song error. <laughs> song dropped off on us quick, then hit hard. Welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. We've been gone about a month. So it's our first show live since uh, the end of January, right? We've been gone all the Tuesdays in February. In February, yep. okay. Uh, this is your host, Orville Roach, along with uh, my producer and co-host, Chris Morales, in the house. In the building. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number. If you want to call and speak to us, if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website, and that's OCG, no, I'm sorry, it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also listen to the show live by just calling in on the Call in line if that's your only means, and by all means, make it happen. All right, so we we were uh, and we will continue throughout the show to pay homage to Maurice White, who passed while we were uh, offline. Uh, the founder, one of the lead vocals of the world-renowned. R&B group, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. So we will be playing uh, a couple of his the songs where he's the lead, the lead guy. They have a number of songs where Philip Bailey's the lead and so on and so forth. But the ones we're going to play, he's the lead. He, he's most of the lead uh, in the song. Um, he passed away uh, mid mid February, I recall. Yeah, I think so. After a long battle with Parkinson's <clears throat> disease, and um, he was a trailblazer, and it's 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 interesting the the music icons that we are that we're losing and we have lost so far yeah. this year. Yeah, that's uh, true. So um, Glenn Fry before him, and and this is what's interesting for me personally is in terms of live concerts. Earth, Wind, and Fire is number one all time. For you, you for me yeah. personally, um, no one put on a better live show. Uh, listen to them live. Go listen to their music on a record. No, no difference. No different. Um, next, Eagles, same thing. Wow. Um, so, and that says a lot when you can. You know, oh yeah. Go out and sing live and sound just like if you popped in, in the studio the, the tape. Right. You know. There's a lot of artists out there. The studio makes oh, all the difference. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All the difference, you listen, yes. you, you listen to them, you're like, wait, wait, wait a second. That's not what it yeah, sounds like. This? Right. Yeah. So, no, that does say a lot. Wow. Cool that you got to experience concerts live. Well, I, no, 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 no. I never went to a concert. I've seen, I've seen their okay. concerts on well, television. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, but, uh... Hey, you talk to anyone from back in the day, they, they'll tell you Earth, Wind, and Fire. Same thing. Um, one of their most famous concerts was right here at the Oakland Coliseum. Really? You know, back in the day. Where and, were they from? They're, I'm not sure where they uh, originally are from. Yeah. Um, but that concert was in the early 80s. In okay. Their, in the, right in, in their heyday. Sure. Um, 81 or 82, I believe, in the Oakland Coliseum. And I think you can find that concert on YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. As a matter of fact. Have to check it so, out. But the song we just played, "Let's Groove Tonight," as we were talking about before we went on the air. Yeah, 
in the mid '90s, uh, one of the local radio stations did a top 100 R&B songs, and that song came in number one. I didn't. That wasn't my personal choice for number one, but I I took it. But um, I thought Luther Vandross' "Never Too Much" would come in at number one. But yeah. Who knows if they did it today? They didn't ask for your opinion. They did not ask for my opinion. Um, I'm, I, I know. I'm not sure how they came up with it, but who knows? Yeah. Well, a great. I mean, a great song nonetheless. Widely recognized, and I think something that speaks highly to songs that jump the generational gap, oh, so yeah. to speak, is you know that that's that's a great song. It's a classic song when. Many, many people from different eras recognize it almost the second it comes on. It's a great song, and that's definitely that's one of those for me, too. So before we move on, I need to know, um, you know, we have family work, you know, doing various things for us behind the scenes as it comes to this production of this show here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, my, my youngest daughter is in charge of uh, music, music production. Yeah. So she's responsible for the particular uh, cutoff. Oh, you know. okay. We're throwing <laughs> the youngest under the bus right, right now, so, are we? Um, we have to make a decision, you know, whether or not <laughs> she's going to hold on to her job or or, or not. Because uh, uh, we, we, we like to be as close to perfection as possible. And so we put tra- you know, faith and trust in yeah, various people that's, that's true. across the board in terms of the, putting this whole thing together. There's many people behind the scenes, okay? That's right. Uh, so takes a lot to make this uh, backdoor garage operation the success that it yeah, is. make it sound like it's not coming through tin cans. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, I will be... Uh, well, at the very least, a verbal warning and maybe a confrontation. You know, what's up with yeah, that? Yeah, I'll be thing. calling her into the office, uh, the home office tonight. And, yeah, good. Uh, giving her the grilling. Perfect. So, and 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 all the songs you're playing are on her today, today. So hopefully uh, that was just a blip, blip on the radar. Hopefully. Okay. So. Well, she she picked a great one to start it off with. So yes. we got to give credit where credit is due there. Yep. Um. I'll just briefly throw out at you what comes after the Super Bowl but before the draft that all the real football junkies are hyped up about. Pitchers and catchers reporting. <laughs> yes. The Combine, which for all intents and purposes from people who really do know sports and football and sports talk radio, one of the most overhyped, worthless uh, measurement measuring tools available to the NFL uh, because it doesn't matter how fast you can run a 40 in tights. Let's put on the game tape and let's see your speed on the field. So for all you out there who want to know what that guy you want on your team's broad jump was, this is the week for you. Yep. And I haven't watched one bit of it. No, nor have I. I've heard about it, but not one bit. The only thing I have to report from my end of things is Pretty much official that Kaepernick will not be a 49er going into this season. All right. So Pumpernick will be gone. Well, let me say, so uh, the Super Bowl did happen while we were offline. True. Yeah. Uh, By the way. On hiatus. 
It's it's in the archives, my prediction, and I believe I was like within five points of the actual score. Okay. Okay. I don't even remember what my prediction was. Who, who did I pick? Carolina. Oh, okay. All right. Um, a couple of points real quick. One, the traffic was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be around the way. Okay. Because, you know, we're right in the in the thick of where it was. I can say I've got a couple of brothers-in-law who work in San Francisco. They said it was terrible. Well, here's the thing. Here's the rub, folks. The Super Bowl was played in Santa Clara, California, right. which is about 35 miles away from San Francisco. That's right. South. Yeah. And why San Francisco was host, hosting Super Bowl, Super City, Bowl City and <laughs> Super Bowl parties and all that stuff right. when the Super Bowl wasn't nowhere near them. They were just taking advantage, going off, you know, jumping on the piggyback and on the ride and whatnot. That's right. Because the same thing was occurring down in Santa Clara. Right. Super Bowl City and this, you know, Super Bowl performances and whatnot. But anyway, I, I'm thinking, you know, my wife is thinking, we're like, and some coworkers, that Friday, Saturday, it's going to be terrible. Terrible traffic. Yeah. Everyone's heading down one on one south to to the game, mm-hmm. coming from all places, near and far. And it was like uh, nothing. No difference. No traffic. Nothing. Completely. Agree. You know what I mean? So I think everyone thought the same and took public transport or yeah. left. You know, got got into the locale of where the Super Bowl was days earlier. And just camped. And just camped out there. Um, which was good for us because traffic is annoying as, you know, I mean, we know New York and Los Angeles is worse, but it's still getting bad where we are. Absolutely. Um, the game was a great game to me. You know, it was, I it, enjoyed it, was, it thoroughly. It was, a, it was a great game. I'm glad it wasn't a blowout. Um, Peyton got his fairy tale, even though he wasn't the, the prime reason, for you know, for the for winning the game. Right. Um, sure. Just goes to show when you when you can rush the passer, it makes no different who the quarterback is. That's right. And when and and if you if you can rush the passer with just four men, and you don't have to blitz, that's you got it. something else. That's it. Yeah. So you're shutting them down. That defense was nasty. Yep. So defense wins championships, and it showed. And it showed uh, they had just enough offense to get over the hump. That's right. And to speak about traffic, traffic that you actually might have been interested in, my wife read uh, an article that was published about a certain type of traffic that the Super Bowl out here was creating. And I don't know if you had your eyes to the sky, but our local San Carlos airport here had far more planes flying in than normal, and apparently she was reading these were some celebrities and wealthier folks who have their own planes Mm -hmm that were flying in and parking their plane in San Carlos who were here to be a part of the Super Bowl festivities. So, unfortunately, and no, fortunately, my view from my uh, uh, little shack is not on the glide path of the San Carlos airport. I am on the glide path of San Francisco International, so I do get very lovely views of all of the planes coming in. Um, But no. I, but I can imagine, you know, and, yeah. and, and the larger the larger private jets going into uh, San Jose That's in, right. International Airport. Um, 
It's funny you got these small airports that call themselves international airports just because they got a flight that might go to Mexico or go to Canada. Hey. Oh, yeah, once every couple they're, of years. They're international. <laughs> right. But meanwhile, they don't get any planes bigger than the 757. Anyway, um, so I'm going to throw out some, speaking of planes, I'm going to throw some plane lingo at you and see if you're going to know what to do with it throughout okay. the whole show. All right. All right, so uh, flaps 20. Uh, I'm going to assume 20 has to do with the degrees, uh, the angle measurement of the flaps from the wing that are going to control the plane's either speed or altitude. Wrong. Oh, well, so I'm tell- I thought it was a good guess. It I'm sounded good. I'm telling you flaps 20, which means, you know, we, we, we just took off. We were at flaps 30, maximum flaps. We need maximum lift. And But as we're, we're getting into our show, I'm reducing the flaps because we're getting into cruise altitude now. So okay. I don't need the flaps extended as much. So flaps 20, thank you. Okay, all you're, right. You're just supposed to say, you're supposed to repeat it back to me. Roger. So, so I know you heard it. <laughs> flaps 20. There you go. All right. Um. If at first you don't succeed, and we just left it hanging there, I'm going to read a piece of prose, P-R-O-S-E, that was written by one of our colleagues, Mr. Richard Pecorero, our intake director, when he was in treatment, six months into his treatment experience, at a program called Mariah House, okay, which no longer exists, 27 years ago. So here's his prose, and it ties into our show topic. I will throw a stone into the pond and try to walk the ripples of life before they fade away. And if I don't, I will throw another stone. The End by Richard Pecorero. Okay. Who we affectionately call Peck. Oh, I call him Mr. Peck. So I kind of wrote the uh, intro right into the show topic description. Okay. Just as... uh, as if you were writing a book, so to speak. Yeah. On this process. And we have been in the front row, for lack of a better description, of this experience. Mm-hmm. Meaning not us personally, but seeing people go through this whole experience if at first you don't succeed. That's right. You've gone through the treatment process. You've made the investment. You are from your own personal perspective and even from external view, meaning others looking at you are saying, you're doing your thing. You're succeeding in your recovery experience. That's what all everything looks like. It feels that way to you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Then out of nowhere, life hits you. And when we say life, it could be anything that's difficult. Loss, whether it's loss of a loved one, loss of a job, uh, loss of a relationship, 
Um, I'll use the word demons that you haven't fully dealt with and explored and resolved are, are triggered by things that maybe you couldn't have predicted, um, whatever it may be. So you, you hit a rough patch in your life and for whatever reason, and usually we don't find out the reason until if we are fortunate enough to get the person back in front of us. If we are fortunate enough as the providers, as the counselors, to get the person back, because then we can find out what happened, right? Or attempt to. Or attempt to. So life hits you hard, and for whatever reasons, you experience a relapse. And you're unable to arrest, no pun intended, the relapse. I couldn't think of another word to, to write there. <laughs> That's all right. It fits. Um, and so you're left with the only alternative is, is a treatment intervention. Okay. So usually in this case, someone has – and it used to be said back in the day that, you know, if you relapse and, and you don't arrest the relapse quickly – that you pretty much get back to where you were, if not worse, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the arresting of the relapse has to happen quickly, otherwise you can go down very fast and be boom right back where you were twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, whatever it was, right? right. Five years ago, even, right? So a treatment intervention looks like to be the only alternative, and this now this part that we're going to talk about we we know just from talking to people who've come back right so what actually is transpiring in the mind of the person at this moment where you know in your own mind right that okay i i need help again and you know it might be 10 years have has has passed since you were you know you've been doing it for 10 years and in the last year and a half let's say You've just gone down this uh, rat hole, rat hole, I guess. <laughs> and, right, sure. Okay, and Good and point. you realize, you know, deep down. Remember, you say you can't lie to yourself. You can lie to others. You can't lie to yourself. You know that, damn, I need help. I need to get back. You know, so what's that like? Well, we can't. I can't say what it's like. I've never experienced that. You can't say right. you've never experienced right. that. We can only we can only ask. And we've done, we've asked, you know, people, you know, what, what were you going through? And it's hard from everything that we've been told. It is really, really hard. Yeah. One of the biggest things that comes into play, and what's the irony about this is it's almost it's almost always one of the last things I tell people as they're moving on and and onward and upward out of the treatment experience. The ego comes into play. Pride comes into play. Humility comes into play. What are they going to think about me? Are they going to look at me as a failure? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we try and implant, you know, right before they leave that, should the worst-case scenario come to pass, be aware of these things that you might experience and go through and think about. 
so that you know that you have to put those things, those thoughts and those feelings to the side and do what's in your best interest. And what we have heard is that people end up staying out there longer than they need to and would have and should have because they're worried about what it, what are we going to think about them? That they something happened and they relapsed and they they got to come back. Right. They got to come back into treatment. Now, granted, um, back in the old days of Daytop, if you were coming back into treatment, the reception, this is before my time, just a little bit before my time, right? During my time, different, and I'll talk about that. But the reception, and you can speak to yours, the reception wasn't that welcoming. <laughs> well, it sounds like not a whole lot changed from then to mine then, but um it wasn't that welcoming and and when I say that, not that they didn't want you to come back in. Right. But you were going to get an ass kicking, yeah. a verbal ass kicking yeah. for uh basically not succeeding. Okay? That's right. So Suffice it to say, there wasn't a lot of compassion. Now, me personally, I wasn't trained that way. I was trained with compassion to receive the person back. Yet, yeah, not that you're not going to uh, dig into what happened, what transpired, because the person needs to be able to analyze and understand and look into. Hey, where did I? Where did I? Where, where did this? start Mm -hmm. and you know how did i end up where i because if you if we can't figure that out and clearly understand it what's going to stop it from happening again right so you got to be able to see it if it comes your way you know a second time around right and so yeah there there is a process of really digging down and drilling down deep and you know back then you know that process was you know, very intense. I'll use that word. But that was the nature of the beast. People accepted it, dealt with it, experienced it, you know, were accepted back into the program and, and moved on. But the – so you, you can add to it back then, let's say just in Daytop, the program we know, the, the you know, damn, is it, they're, they're really going to kick my ass. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and whereas today, obviously, we you know we we don't want that anyone to think that because that's just going to keep you out there longer. Who wants to experience being humiliated and you know and 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 all that stuff? And so the message now, and which has been for the last ten years plus, has been, you know, if you if if that happens, we want you to come back as soon as possible. Right. Get back in here as soon as possible. And we will drill down. We're not gonna. We're not gonna humiliate you. you why, why aren't we gonna humiliate you? Because we already know that you feel humiliated. Just yeah, just by virtue of what's happening. Exactly. exactly. So why would we pile on? Pile, yeah. You know what I mean. Right. Um, so we didn't know anything years ago. You know. 
No, you thought that's what <laughs> you, you know, had you to know do. I mean, we, you know, we were, you know, it was the dinosaur this age. This person needs to get blown up right it was, now. It was the dinosaur age of treatment, so we didn't know. So, but we learned and we improved and we evolved, and we became dolphins instead of dinosaurs. <laughs> right. We started using more of our intelligence. Right. Yeah, no, I would say the same thing, too. It, back in the day for me, yeah, you knew you were going to get, you know, beat up a little bit if you were if you found yourself in that position. Um, more so than anything else, you, the, the narrative was we know why this individual relapsed because you were dirty in treatment. You left with guilt. You didn't do the work you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so you knew that that was going to be what was delivered to you. Like, mm-hmm. you missed the boat. There's something you didn't do or this, that, or the other. And so, like, basically, y- you didn't you didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. You didn't do good enough, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and in that came maybe those feelings of, uh, you know, I, I failed or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I didn't do as well as I should have. I feel a little down about myself about that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you feel like you've let people down. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe staff who have stated that they had believed in you, and now you got to face these people. And you know, and God forbid, as a coordinator on your way out, you uh, you rubbed any of your peers the wrong mm-hmm. way on the way out, and then you come back and you're working for them, mm-hmm. but. Um, but that was that that was it added on to maybe the fear of even though I know I need help cuz things are going south pretty quick now you know I'm going to have to face all these things coming mm-hmm. back in and although you're going to have to face them kind of like you spoke to you'll have to face those regardless mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be said by the welcoming party here's everything you got to look at mm-hmm. like because we know that you know that, mm-hmm. and we're not just going to pile on. Mm-hmm. We don't want anything from our end to be a deterrent in your head when making that decision. Mm-hmm. If you got to get back, you got to get back, and you're not going to have to worry about us embarrassing you in front of people, so to speak. Yeah, we're not going to uh, beat you up, and uh, and and, and there shouldn't be from anyone who's working with people in, in recovery. That shouldn't be the message. No. That if you uh, if you relapse and are or are experiencing a significant relapse and you need and, and you need and want to return to treatment, that you have to fear how you're going to be received right. or treated. Um, so what we've worked to do, like I said, in the last ten years plus, is try and take that out of the equation on their on their way out. That doesn't always work, obviously, because you're not in people's minds. You can't control what they think and what you know what and 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 and, and how their mind works, especially now you know if they're in, while they're using. Yeah. You know. So the only thing we can do is uh, hope that they make it back. So they make it back. They're now back, and now's the time that we get an opportunity to. Uh, Determine what what is the repair work that needs to be done. Um, and what's what is that like for the person, uh, especially 
I think someone who returns and their anyone that they have been in treatment with has long you know has passed through and long gone and they, and no one mm-hmm. knows them. Mm-hmm. It's a different feeling. Yeah, it's a different know, animal. You know, once you arrive and and have conquered all the other demons of of making the decision to come back. Um, it, but if you arrive back and it hasn't much time hasn't passed and people are still around, you know, there's that those feelings to deal with. I am less forgiving to the person returning uh, once they once they returned, of course. Right, right. I am less forgiving about those feelings. You know, that's yeah, where my forty eight my forty eight hour rule comes into play. Yeah, you're um, only gonna feel sorry yes, for yourself for so long. Yes. Um but you know, as providers, we're charged our task is very sensitive. And I and I can't I this is just my own personal opinion and way I approach it. When someone returns to treatment a second time, third time, fourth time, what the environment is this time around, whatever number it is, plays a role in how we as the staff configure their treatment process. Because if some of their peers are still present, okay, sometimes that works in our favor. Because the expectation is that the, the peers will care front them. You got that care. That's right. Front them, uh As to what happened and learn from it. You know, there's a value to care fronting them. Is that not only do you, the person being care fronted, get to have to dig deep and find and really get into what happened? I get to learn from you, from your experience. So I don't make that same mistake, or I get to see, hey, if that comes my way, how to handle it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but if there are no peers left over, it's then left to the staff to make sure that that person does not slide through. Because remember, they know the machinations of treatment. They know how things work. They know how to get over. I'm not saying that they will consciously, although there are some who do and have, but I'm not saying that they all will just consciously say, oh, I'm going to try and get over. But just by virtue of knowing the environment, knowing what morning meeting is, knowing what GI is, knowing what groups are, and so on and so forth, and knowing that routine and the structure, okay, you kind of just get into this, okay, I'm, I'm back into that comfort mode, and it is left to us, the staff, to upset that comfort. Yeah. Because more often than not, when the residents that are in the environment who don't know this person, they only know that they're they've been in treatment before. That's all they know. But they don't know them. Mm-hmm. Uh usually someone who has more information than you, uh there's like a even if it's only a tensy, tensy, tensy bit of knowledge intimidation going on, even if the person coming back doesn't put it out there, even if they don't put it out there, but me knowing that oh they've been they've been around this block before, so they kind of know how this program works and know what to do, what know knows what to say, 
they got an advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's we we have to make sure that that advantage is removed. Right. And that the family, the residents that are here now, do not afford them any special treatment. No pun intended again. <laughs> no special right. privileges. No pun intended again. And uh, treat them as if they would treat anyone else walking in the door day one, don't know them, don't care about their history. Right. So that's, our, that's part of what our responsibility is. And we owe that to the person returning. Otherwise, they're just going to, just by human nature. You're just going to go through the motion. You're going to slide. Right. Because you've done it before. Right. Even, and it's not even, like I said, it's not even, some most don't even intentionally do it. It's just the nature of how things are. Yeah, when you're used to, when you know something and you're trying to get through it, you, and but you already know the... You're familiar with it. Yeah, the... the the solution to the puzzle, yeah. you're just going to walk through the maze and not take a wrong turn. You right. know how to get to the end. Right. Um, but, yeah, the the goal is, from the staff's perspective, like you said, because even without knowing it, a resident might hear that you were in this pro- program before, and even if you're not showing it on any level, they're going to feel a certain way or perceive you a certain way. Right. Just by virtue of having that information. Right. Um. And so, yeah, for the staff to kind of put that out on the table, let's not let, you know, the elephant in the room go unspoken about. We know that you've been through this process before. What are we hoping is different this time? What are we hoping you get out of the process this time that you missed the time before? And actually, if we can get that person's mindset to, although this is round two, this is really a new path that yeah. we're carving mm-hmm. uh, they can also be a really volatile part of the process for clients because of that prior knowledge and what it is to get through the program and still fall on hard times yeah um that story is a powerful one to tell for other clients who are going through their first time in treatment right um you know it is possible to to feel like you're doing everything right and get through it and still fall on your face right so um they can be a benefit in right. that regard as well, as long as they're open to the idea that this is new now. This right. is we're doing something different this time around. Regardless of how it's looked at in the external world, which is uh, failure. Okay, so person went through treatment and didn't stay clean and sober, so they failed. Mm-hmm. Black and white, cut and dry. Okay. In the treatment world, we don't consider that a failure. We can, I, we, we consider it a failure if they have, they are experiencing a relapse and do not seek out treatment again. So if they just stay in the relapse and right, oh and, yeah, you know, end up in jail or what, you know, whatever, you know, that without having reached out, right, or, Hey, those are terrible outcomes. Right. But if there's a relapse and you reach out to to uh, arrest it, regardless of whatever length of time has gone by, um, that's a a positive outcome from a negative situation. Agreed. Okay. So. There's many, um, I've mentioned the name Steve Cunyon a number of times since we've been on air mm-hmm. over the year and change. And 
when I was an intern at Swan Lake, <clears throat> he was the assistant director, and and not directly involved with the trainees, but as the assistant director, he had indirect involvement, and he was tough. Okay, uh, he's the one who hid in the closet when I was doing a, a, a an incident to evaluate. <laughs> yeah, it was a good story. To evaluate how I was doing. <clears throat> And uh, I didn't know anything about him at that time. Um, and, you know, after I became a staff person and so on and so forth and, and, and then eventually learned a little bit about his background, I was shocked to find out that he had failed four times, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And on his fifth time returning the treatment, you know, recovery stuck. Okay, and it always makes me think. Wow, what if he would have given up? Wow, yeah. That's... After the second time, after the third time, and then after the fourth time, it's like four times is like we say three times is a charm, right? And it's like, my God, four times. Here's the fourth time, and now boom, you're going back for number five. So <clears throat> obviously, there's some inner strength. Mm-hmm. At some point, that has that comes to the fore for you to not give up on yourself and keep going at it, keep going at it, keep going at it. If at first you don't succeed, you keep trying. Um, the ultimate failure is if you don't try and you give up. To me, that would be just that's the ultimate failure. You just give up, right? Oh yeah, no, he's a. Uh, I mean, that story is crucial to 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 pass around the recovery realm and mm-hmm. in treatment and whatnot mm-hmm. because no and no one would have blamed him after the fourth failure. It's like if he didn't come back and yeah. like, man, you know, a human being can only take so much, mm-hmm. you, you know, like. He wouldn't have been faulted for that from mm-hmm. any kind of compassionate individual. You know, he gave it a good run four times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that idea that, you know, the 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 only real failure or, or the definition of success is getting up one more time than you fall. Mm-hmm. We, we have some of these inspirational posters um, hanging in one of our facilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're cliche, and mm-hmm. everyone's heard them, but his story, I mean, cliches are born from stories. Mm-hmm. They're born out of reality. So this guy's story is really a testament to that saying that as long as you get up one more time than you're knocked down, you should be all right. Mm-hmm. And he was knocked down four times, but right. got up five. And that is that is inspirational. Another thing to point out is in in today's treatment world, yeah. okay, if someone is not succeeding and let's say they're on their second or third go around using OCG as an example with OCG, right? Okay. W- w- locally, there's one avenue that we have which really didn't exist back in the day, in the day top day in New York and even the day top days out here back in the 90s, which is sometimes – a person, the the environment that you have may not be conducive to their success. Mm-hmm. That's just a reality. Sometimes you, I mean, we can't think that 
we have the most holier-than-thou environment. And if you can't make it with us, then you're not going to make it anywhere. And let you know? me, oh, that only applies if you're from New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and let me Only tell New you. Yorkers does that apply to, you know? But, me, oh, wow. But so someone may come, you know, come back two and three times, and, and we may come to the conclusion that, you know what? Let's say it's a woman, right? Mm-hmm. We might say, you know, maybe she might do better in an all-women's program. Right. And let's refer her there. Instead of coming back here, let's refer her there. Because we know during the times that she was here, she got distracted by the men. Right. Okay? And treatment didn't, didn't take hold. So let's see if she can succeed. Now, that's looking out for the client. It is. Which should be at the forefront. Um, and with men, same thing. I mean, they... You know, and we've had many over the years, been three, four times, and at some point we've had to say, maybe a different program is what's needed. Because some programs do some things just a little bit differently. They have they might have a minor tweak. Who knows what it might be? And for whatever reason, it grasps because we experience the same thing that people come from other programs. They they didn't succeed in other programs, they come to us, they succeed. People come to us, they don't succeed. They go to other programs, they succeed there. Yeah, and when the argument can be made, and by the way, that mentality of our program being the ultimate uh, (laughs) was a mentality I definitely had to get over as I was hired at a very young, the tender age of 20 years old, um, having had that connection with the program and that pride in the program. Uh, there were more than one one occasion. There was more than one occasion where I had a conversation with a client and let them know, man, it, <laughs> if it's not here, it's nowhere. You know what I mean? Because we are it. And so that that definitely had to change. But I think there's also something to be said about, um, if nothing less, the conversation where maybe somebody comes to us twice and fails both times and then goes to somewhere else and succeeds or we get someone who's been in five programs and failed every single one and then they're successful with us mm-hmm. um is a lot of times that doesn't necessarily speak to the program and more speaks to the individual yeah. because it you know it can be argued and set out there and I think it's pretty much widely accepted that a lot of recovery has to do when the individual themselves are ready mm-hmm. and when you're ready you can almost get put anywhere yeah. and and succeed, you know, barring some gross unethical things happening mm. somewhere. Um, and so, you know, I think that the individual has obviously a key component in that. Mm-hmm. Flaps 10. Flaps 10. Um, the ego and ego and pride has kept more people from coming back than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and I think covered under ego and pride is, you know, what are people going to think about me? What are the staff going to think about me? Because, I mean, we're, we're always here. The, 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 the resident population changes, move, right. moves through. And so the chance, you know, there's a likelihood that people you were in treatment with aren't, might not be there. So, um, well, what, what is the staff going to think? And, it doesn't at a certain point you can repeat yourself 10,000 times and and say we're not going to look we don't look down upon you if 
you have a relapse experience. Right. Okay. What that means is that, <clears throat> and hear me carefully now. What that mean? All that means is that relapse has just become a part of your recovery. So you know the saying and the argument that we have. Yeah. We get the questions. Is relapse a part of recovery? Our answer, if I, if I believe, if you're on board with that, if you're not, you can speak your own mind. But I believe our answer has been no. Right. Relapse is not a part of recovery. If you experience a relapse, though, it has become a part of your recovery experience. That's right. But it is not written into the recovery handbook in advance. <laughs> yeah. You know that you you're, must, you're not granted a free relapse. You're a mulligan. <laughs> right. Okay. That it must happen in order for the re- for the relapse to be whole and holistic. No, that's not the way it works. Right. So, but when a relapse does happen, um we're not there obviously. And so we're, you know, like I said, we're we're totally reliant upon the person fighting through those feelings and, and those thoughts to get back to the program if if the relapse has not been arrested and it's and they've gone down the rat hole and so on and so forth. Um we then have to uh, and this is where the 48 hour rule comes in, we then have to stop them from and this is a challenge. As counselors, this is a challenge. Stop them from beating themselves up once mm-hmm. they arrive back because, well, my ego, my pride, my, my my concern for how you were going to look at me and think of me kept me out there how much longer? Oh, maybe six months longer than it should have been. Right. So now they're back and they have that extra thing to deal with. So hopefully by instituting my 48-hour rule, you know, it's like you get 48 hours to, to cry and, and to feel bad and, and all that stuff about the time you wasted and, 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 and how far down the road you could have been in your recovery process. 48 hours, that's it. Because yeah. now we got to get busy. That's right. Because life is moving. You're going to be, you know, a ton of information is going to be not only coming your way externally – at this point, but we hope a ton of information is going to be coming internally from from within to ensure that this relapse doesn't occur again. If at first you don't succeed. That's it. Yeah, no, I have to um I have to agree all the way around um you know, something that Something that you touched on too at the end there I think is important to expound upon just a little bit. It, it kind of goes in line with I'm saying... I'm putting a pip in. Okay. <laughs> kind of goes in line with saying what we had spoken about when the individual's ready, the program maybe doesn't matter as much as the readiness of the individual. That also some of those fears that someone might be feeling about re-entering after they've completed something uh, a lot of that can be self-created as well absolutely um you know you, you don't necessarily we may not necessarily have given them any reason to believe 
that they will be humiliated or that this, that, and the other. That's but, the purpose of on the back end as they're leaving saying, you know, hey, if something happens, we're a phone call away. Don't be afraid to contact right. us, blah, 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 blah. Don't, don't feel, you know, a ways about it. We're not looking down upon you. It's more important. We want to help you. Right. Right. So, you know, just thought it would be important to make sure that that's out there, too. Um, some of the some of the worst fears, and people do this to themselves in general, but are yeah. usually self created. They create the the create the thoughts, mm-hmm. then generate the feelings, mm-hmm. and then you get stuck. Right, right. You don't like the way it feels, so you keep using. How yeah. do we interrupt that cycle? Um, well, there's nothing we can do. We're not out there with you. Somehow the cycle has to get interrupted. More often than not, it's uh, it might be a lucky jail intervention. You know, when I say lucky, better than death. Definitely. Right. So a lucky a, a lucky jail intervention might get the ball rolling down that route. So um, if it's not a, um, a a fortitude from within that you put your hand up and say, hey, I, I, I need help again. You know, and you pick up the phone on your own. Uh-huh. So. Ultimately, we don't give a rat's how which way how how it uh, how it happens as long as you get get to the front door, right? So, if at first you don't succeed, it is our sincerest hope that you keep trying. That's it. No matter how many times it takes, you have to. Only death should stop you. It's true. That's all I got, and I got a pip in my mouth. That's great. Well, yeah, that's uh, no, I completely agree. It's great to be able to touch on this uh, because I believe, you know, this ha- anyone who's worked in a program for over a handful of years, you're going to experience this. Mm-hmm. You're going to see this. Clients, you're going to have, and not to um, demean anyone by using this term, but retreads mm-hmm. is the label that gets thrown on them sometimes. But, yeah, you'll definitely run into clients who will come back for round two and round three. And in, in fairness, I think we only apply the retread term when you hit number three. <laughs> okay. All right. Not the second time, but the third and on word. Okay, then that's that's what it is. Um, but lo- important lo- to put loving, on the Lovingly, of course. That's right. That's right. So, uh, well, good. Yeah, good. I'm glad we were able to talk about it and get it out there for people to listen to and hopefully give us their thoughts, anyone who listening live wants to call in or even if you listen to it on a podcast at some point and want to want to call in on a different show and talk about it i think it's an important important topic because it happens relapse does happen mm-hmm. we are not proponents of recover uh relapse is a part of recovery but relapse does happen mm-hmm. simple as that it's no reality fact. it's reality yeah. okay so you have to deal with it exactly the, us as providers and and the clients themselves have to deal with it. That's right. It, what has changed is how we deal with it. You know, like we said back in the day, you know, we were very harsh. We kicked you in the ass. You blah blah blah. You know, got all got got all over you. Um, and we realized, well, as bad as the person feels, why would we do that? Right. Okay. We need to welcome them back. Find out what happened, what went wrong, where to go wrong. The precise. And by the way, I mean the precise moment in time that. The direction, the thoughts, the feelings changed. We got to go all the way back to when that happened and then follow it. 
it's 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 a it's a very analytical process to to and why that must happen is because that ensures to the best that we can um we're not an insurance company <laughs> that ensures that we give the client if they go through that process of analyzing this relapse experience that when it comes down that road again and they see it coming and they can that they see it coming is what I should say they're able to see it and then react differently yeah that's what we that's the goal but you got to be able to recount and be willing to 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 really be honest and talk about the experience and where, and, and and where it started going the wrong way and if you're not willing to do that and you stay surface Okay, then all you're doing is setting it up, setting up relapse number three, relapse number four. Four, yeah. And that's just real talk. Sorry. Oh, that's definitely valid, definitely accurate. So great topic to come back to. Yep. From a from a little hiatus. Yep. Um, good good conversations. Uh, we do see we have somebody on hold. It's been a while since we've gotten into our recovery support time segment, but it's coming back. And I got a pile of uh, pile of X Files X, questions. X, X file questions. Lovely. So, um, thank you for your patience. Those of you on hold who are looking to speak with us, we are going to take our top of the hour or bottom of the hour, however you want to look at it, commercial break with a little more. Earth, Wind, and Fire, and we will get to our recovery sports time on the other side. Maurice White.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Oh, go ahead. What were you saying? We'll start at the It had been so long since I had dropped that sound bite that I was just itching for it, itching for the X-Files to come back. They might be coming after us since the show has come back on the air. <laughs> All right. You cannot use our promo. Good call. But we do have a stack of them, no? Yep. They've been coming in left and right even when the studios are sh- are shut down. Let's go with... Uh, we say don't... We say first... Put your first name, last initial. People still writing their full names. Uh, Penny M, no hometown. Why is it so hard to try and mend, M-E-N-D, relationships with family? Mm. Well, you know, during the life, during the addict's life, the life of the addict, the people you harm the most are family members. Those are the only ones who tolerate what you do during the uh, the addictive state. And uh, more often than not, there are things that are created, boundaries that are broken, um, bonds that are stretched to their limits, and all of that has to be uh, addressed. And so, yeah, it is, it is very hard to uh, mend those relationships, be they sibling, parent, child, um, whatever it is, husband, wife. They're very hard to mend, but the hard work has to happen. It's not you. You can't skate around it. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. You have to commit to doing the work that's going to be needed to mend the relationship, to tighten back up the bond, to mend the fences, so to speak. It requires work. It requires humility. It requires putting ego and pride to the side. It requires desire, and above all, it requires unselfishness. Can't be worried about your feelings. It's about the other person. And if both sides took that position, then the mending would be easier. The question was about mending relationships why, with families. Yeah, why is it so hard? Yeah. Did you want to chime in? or? No, I think what you said sounds right if I heard what kind of your response at the very beginning of the question um, spoke to when you're in your addiction, it is your family that gets affected the most yeah. or hurt the most, hit the hardest. They get, so the, they get the haymakers. Yeah, exactly. So, um, 
that's why that can be as challenging of a process as it is. And uh, I think, you know, another slight um, compounding of the problem, if you will, is it's not like friends or acquaintances or where the mending can kind of take place on your own terms or it doesn't really matter if and when it happens. With family, it, it they are there. Mm-hmm. It needs You cannot avoid it. You cannot run from it. It needs to happen. So the action is forced a little bit, mm-hmm. and the response matters. Mm-hmm. Because as the addict who's getting clean, you'd like to think that once you've made this great change in your life that others will acknowledge that and respect that. And you have to understand that there was a lot of damage done before you got to this this place. Not only that, if you recall what the Monsignor has the late, great Monsignor William B. O'Brien, stated numerous times over about it is not just about the addict. The whole family has to heal. And I put the word family in quotations to mean whatever constitutes for for the addict, the family. So... The addict can go and get clean and 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 succeed in their recovery experience, and the family not get assistance in 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 their hurt and their pain and their experience, and so you have two at parties that are in, are living in two different experiences now. Mm-hmm. I've gone through treatment. I've 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 moved on. I've moved on past that life while the family is still sitting there recovering, you know, wondering, you know, what the hell is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you know, it's been said numerous times over by many that, you know, when an addict goes into treatment, the family must go with him, not literally, but figuratively, because the family has to heal also. And if the addict heals and the family doesn't, what do you have? What is the addict going home to? a family that hasn't healed and what's going to be the end result of that. Right. Okay. I know that was a long winded answer. Uh, this one's easy. James from New York. What is it about addiction that makes it so hard to stop? Cause drugs make you feel good. Period. <laughs> right. If, if it didn't, people wouldn't do them and people like to feel good. The question is what, why do they not feel good without them? Well, yes. That's the 64 cents question. <laughs> uh, I'd like the answer to that. I think I could rake in more than 64 cents. There you go. Uh, let's see. Who else we got? George, no hometown. Is alcoholism supposedly harder to recover from than tobacco? The most addictive drug in the world is nicotine. Nicotine, yep. However, health effects aside, people don't rob stores and rob people and steal cars and do all kinds of craziness for nicotine. Right. Okay? So uh, alcohol, to me, is the worst drug because of all the things that it damages in the body. Oh, yeah. Okay? Um yeah, I might end up changing as time goes on because with what meth does and heroin making a comeback, and we're going to do a show on that, by the way, in the future about what the, the damage that's going on in New England, mm-hmm. the Northeast, mm-hmm. 
the New England states with the 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 major comeback of the heroin back there. Who could have predicted that in lovely Vermont? <laughs> along, right. along the I-95 corridor, which I think you've driven, right? You've driven along that corridor? I believe I believe that's the corridor that okay. took me all the way to Ben and Jerry's. There you go. All right. Uh, all right, let's get this one, then we'll get to the phones. Ricardo from San Mateo. If I only have a drug problem and not a drinking problem, is it possible oh, to drink alcohol? <laughs> There's one way to find out, Ricardo. So... I always used to answer that question by saying, you know, the fact that you ask me that question, yeah, right, tells Let's me know something right me, off the bat. Tells me everything I need to know. Yeah, the fact that you even asked me that question, so it can't end well. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> Good call. It can't end well, so don't do it. All right, who do we got? Uh, let's go to. Bill from someplace I cannot pronounce. Bill, Hello. welcome to the show. Hello. How are yeah, you doing? How's it going? Good. Yeah, I was listening to your radio show, and uh, I'm pretty sure you – I had one of those questions was relapsing part of recovery, so I'm pretty sure you covered that. Some some people – someone told me that, you know, relapsing, relapsing is using. And, uh, yeah, you had some good answers to that question. But uh, my other question is, why are some programs longer than others, and why are, you know why are some are shorter than others? Um, it really depends on the design of 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 what they would like the, the the client to accomplish, and and kind of projecting out how long that may take. That's really that's really what it should be. Um, but sometimes other factors unrelated to the program dictate time. Sometimes, you know, the fund, whoever is paying for treatment might yeah. say, hey, we're only going to cover 90 days or we're only going to cover six months. And so you're trying to design your program around what what's going to be paid for rather than designing the program around what the clients actually need. Okay. That's a good answer. So that's why, that's why they're different like that. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to talk about this uh, today on our next show as part of the reason why we took a month off and some other news we're going to drop, but because of the major changes going on in our local county and statewide with treatment and how that's going to impact us moving how forward. That, sure. You said there was going to be some news broken in the next the next show. Well, huh? it's not news to you, but it'll be. No, not in the next show. You guys heard it here first. There's news to come. Stay tuned. Oh, okay. Good. I don't I, <laughs> because once you play the intro, do I have to drop the news right now? <laughs> no, or, absolutely uh, okay, not. It's okay. just a precursor. You, or you would just work it. And it's like working the uh, the airlines and the flaps yeah. just to make sure that they're working. That's Ma- right. Making sure the clips still work. Okay, because we've, right. we've been gone a month. All right, let's go to um, Billy Jean from San Francisco. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Hello. How you doing? 
Good. How are you? I'm good. Well, my question I have is um, I've been in addiction, you know, I've been sober for 18 months now, but I was in addiction for like five years, methamphetamines, and my Mm -hmm. kids, they got to see all the abuse and like, you know, the transition of me becoming from a mother to an addict. So they don't trust me anymore and they're acting out. And I'm trying to transition into being a mother again, and, you know, they're struggling with school. And how do I get it to the point where they can trust me again, and how can I transition into being a mother to them again? Because right now they don't trust me. That's a fabulous question. How old are they? I have a 7-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 15-year-old. And my 15-year-old son, like, before I decided to get sober, he came to the jail, and and he told me, you know, he was like, I'm going to disown you. And he gave me the ultimatum to to get my life together. And he was like, you know, I hate what you're doing to my siblings, and I don't want you in my life anymore if you're going to continue to do this. So that was my push to get sober. And I now have 18 months sober, but, I, you know, they don't trust me yet. And I want okay. to build a relationship. Okay. We're going to, Mr. Producer, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this call. Oh, absolutely. This okay. is a, it's a great question, great topic. All right. So before you even mention, when, when I asked you the ages and you started off seven, and I think you said 13 and 15 or 12 and 15? Seven, 13, and 15. Okay. The reason I want to know the ages is because the age of the children are going to dictate what you're going to experience and then how you're going to have to counterbalance it to achieve your ultimate goal, which is to reconnect, reestablish that trust and insert yourself back into the primary role of mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. The 15 year old is the last one on the list. Oh, You have to start with the seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. Okay? The younger ones are more resilient. They're the ones that need mom the most. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are the easiest to reassure that I'm back. I'm not going anywhere anymore. And I'm going to show you that by just doing it and being consistent with it. And they're just mm-hmm. going to look at that and feel confident and comfortable in that. The reason why they're able to do that is because they haven't intellectually matured yet and, uh, and, and like deciphered and uh, took in the meaning of everything that you experienced. The 15-year-old did. Mm-hmm. So that's why he can respond to you the way he did and what he said to you while you were in jail. Yes. Because they intellectually are able to understand what you're doing and the impact that it has on them and so on and so forth. And by the way, if you think about if you just step outside yourself for a second and think about it, I would commend him for what he said. Or mm-hmm. she. Or male or female, whatever it's a it is. Boy. Okay. And just just so you know, okay, I don't know why this is the case, but boys are a little bit harder to turn in this scenario than girls. Maybe it has something to do with the mother-son relationship, you know, all of all of that stuff. So just know that walking in, 
Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's the seven-year-old. The 12-year-old is right in that – how can I say this? I We don't know your child, meaning that we haven't seen them, we, don't, we, know, we haven't experienced them, so only you know where that child is at 12. Some 12-year-olds really are – quiet. He's really, really quiet. He doesn't like to talk. He's very, like, withdrawn, and it scares okay. me. Okay, so – all, all that is, so don't, 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 don't worry about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All that is is, um, I was old enough to see and have a little bit of understanding and feel the impact of your behavior. I'm still young enough to want and need mom. But I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, you almost got to put yourself in the mind of a twelve-year-old. Mm-hmm. Okay, did the twelve-year-old ever come visit you in jail? Yes. Okay. I visited my mother in jail. I have to deal with that in middle school. I may be. He may be getting teased about that. I'm just throwing things out there for you to think about. Mm-hmm. Okay? So how's he feeling and experiencing what his mother, who's not there, how's that impacting him? At 12. Think about yourself at 12. You know, you're right on that cusp. You know, you don't need your parents, but you need your parents. You don't want them, but you do want them. You know, some days you're good with them. Some, you know what I mean? You're like right right there. Yeah. 15-year-old, you've, 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 at 14, 15, you've kind of turned the corner, and you're in full, I want my independence mode. Mm-hmm. So you're able to think for yourself a little bit, and you can, you know, you can speak up and say stuff and so on and so forth. At 12, you're still trying to find yourself. Your voice is still changing, you know what I mean? So you just... Puberty just is just the hormones are just entering at twelve, so mm-hmm. he's like right in this middle spot. So I'm, I'm going to use a word that's kind of crazy, but this is it. It we have to get very underhanded here with them, mm-hmm. okay? So we can still trick him. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Okay. The 15-year-old, listen very carefully. I know this is going to sound crazy. The 15-year-old, you're going to have to ignore. (laughs) What do I mean by ignore? When I say ignore, I don't mean ignore, ignore. What I mean is the 15-year-old has no problem telling you what he thinks, what he feels, and what he expects from you. Uh Uh-huh. He'll tell you how he feels about what he experienced as a result of your actions. Mm -hmm. And your job is to accept it. Your job is to apologize. Your job is to say, I let you down. As a person and as your mother, I let you down. Now, I have to say, the next words you could never, ever say Unless you are committed to changing your life. If you are not committed 
you're not there yet, you're not sure, then these words could never, ever leave your mouth. And those words are, I will never, ever do that to you again. Mm-hmm. Because to the 15-year-old, after you say those words, okay, they'll mean nothing to him because all the 15-year-old is going to be doing is what? Watching what you do. Mm-hmm. The 12-year-old will watch also. The 7-year-old will watch also. But it means more to the 15-year-old what you're going to do. I don't care what you say. You can say to the 7-year-old and they'll say, okay, mommy. The 12-year-old, you catch him on the right day, okay, mommy. The 15-year-old, I don't want to hear what you have to say. It means nothing mm-hmm. to me what you said. But you have to say it. Those words have to leave your lips, and you've got to mean it. Because imagine if you said it, and boom, you did something different. Mm-hmm. If you don't have them at 15, you, how much harder do you think it's going to be at 21? Yeah. When they really don't need you, theoretically speaking. Mm-hmm. Your best weapon to get them back is to do your thing. Mm-hmm. Show and prove. That you are dead serious about changing your life. That is your ultimate, ultimate weapon. And as, can we use the word God on the radio? Absolutely. As God, as our witnesses, we can guarantee that you will get them. They will come back to you when they see that you are committed to a different life for yourself and as an extended result for them. And all you got to do is keep your word. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank 15, you for that the information. The 15-year-old you can talk honestly with about your experience. You can be honest and talk with him. And I would even recommend that, you know, when you finish your treatment experience or somewhere with you know before you, you finish or whatever that you strongly consider, um, you know when the family gets damaged like that that there should be some family counseling so that there's a forum for people to express themselves and be able to freely say what what's what's what, what what's inside of them. Mm-hmm. And your job as the person who kind of quote unquote cause this upset and this uproar in the family is to hear it, feel it, see it, smell it, and 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 respond accordingly. And usually the response should be, I heard everything you said and I am so sorry that I caused you to experience that. Mm-hmm. But I as I sit here today I commit to you that I am never going to live that life again. You mean too much to me. I mean too much to me to let that happen. And then you got to stick to it. But don't say it if you're not, if you don't mean it. Thank you. Let me ask you one question. 
Mm-hmm. How many shots do you think you get with them? I've had shot after shot. I don't know. Okay. With the 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 fifteen year old, I know I have no more. Okay, so you kind of got it right. As they get older, your shots become the number of shots you get become less and less. So you got some shots left with a seven year old. Do you want to chance it? No, I don't think so. No. You got you might have one shot left with a twelve year old. Do you want to chance it? I don't think so. No. You don't have any shots left with a fifteen year old, so you're gonna have to work for that one. But you'll you'll be able to get that one back. Mhm. You'll be able to get that one back. But understand what they're going through. The fifteen year olds mm-hmm. in high school. You don't know what his friends may know about what you you know what you experience and what you've been doing and how you've been living, if they're making fun of his mother and so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's all the stuff that they go through. Who and who and who are they dropping this on? It just it just stays inside of them, and it leaks out in bad behavior in school, bad school performance, just all the stuff that you mentioned when you said that you know you're starting to have problems with them, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it comes out. So pretty much I just have to be persistent and do instead of say. You got to do. You got to work the younger ones, try and elicit, try and create an environment where they can feel comfortable talking about how, what they feel, about you know where mommy is, what mommy has done, because you, you, you know that it's in them you want to get it out of them. And if and if you don't feel that if you don't feel that you're succeeding in doing that, then it tells you, okay, I need help I need help with doing that. Yeah, what's crazy is like I thought like, you know, I was going backwards. I was starting with the fifteen year old and, you know, I'm I don't know what to do, what to say and it's 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 overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. It, yeah. Reverse it. Reverse mm-hmm. it because you'll you'll be spent working on the fifteen year old. You will have no energy left because the fifteen year old just run you around in circles. Yeah. No, you go with the you start at the seven year old to go to the twelve year old and the fifteen year old. They're old enough to wait, and you might take some incoming from them, and you got to be open to the incoming. And, and, you know they might whatever's in them may leak out in ways you don't like to hear, and you just got to be open to it. Mm-hmm. But I'll leave you with this. This is very important because a lot of times parents, when they have children and, they, and they've, they've been in addiction and they're now getting their life back in order, okay, sometimes they feel that they can't, uh, like, when is the right time to really step back into the parent role and, you know, be a mother and be a parent? Well, the time is now. So, mm-hmm. yes. I'm open to everything you're saying, but you'll still be respectful. Yeah. Because in the 15-year-old's mind is, well, you disrespected yourself, you disrespected the family, so I can talk to you any way I want to, or so on and so forth. No. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I set, I've set boundaries, and, like, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit too hard, but there's certain, you know, things I won't allow, and I won't allow, no, you, have you know, to, you have my, to my reclaim. son to call me B or bruh, and I'm Absolutely not your B no, or no. not your bruh. No, you reclaim <laughs> the position. You have to reclaim mm-hmm. the motherhood position, and you're simultaneously, you're 
you're on one side, you're getting your life in order, you're, you're, doing, you're, you're making progress, you're doing the right thing, and simultaneous to that, I'm reclaiming my rightful position as the mother. Mm-hmm. And your past, your past is not going to define who you are. Don't be hamstrung by your past. Oh God, since I did all this bad stuff, I can't really step, you know, say that to them and and give them direction and say no, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. No, you got to be the parent. Mm-hmm. And the and the the fifteen year old to a lesser degree, the twelve year old will try and use use what you've done against you know like against you. Mm-hmm. Don't fall for the okie doke. Okay. All right. Thank you. I want you to keep us posted. All right. I will. All right. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mr. Producer. But I thought it was worth spending it the is, time. It is, and because that could be a whole show. Yeah. And we've we've touched on it, and actually it's probably a pretty good idea for a show, but that's a, that is a tough one because – the dynamic of how that role changes, especially as a kid gets older, like you said, the less they need you, then the less likely you are to be able to reclaim any kind of position because mm-hmm. it's like, wait a second, I can get on without you mm-hmm. and you're doing all this, you, you know, your your chances are almost up with mm-hmm. me. But like you said, with a child who still needs mom, mm-hmm. okay, you still got that position of almost like control. Mm-hmm so to speak, but as that seven-year-old grows, like you said, they're still witnessing and watching. Right. So you don't want to use your mulligan, you know, too many of them, so to speak. And you got to be, you got to be, you you have to be clear that you are ready to make that commitment. Right. Because you, you, you only, I, I, sometimes they say you only get one shot. You don't have any shots. This really, is, it's this is it. Really, you know yeah. what I mean. It gets harder as they get older to uh, to reclaim that 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 bond. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because they're not off talking to their. More often than not, they're not. Uh, who knows? I don't know in today's world. Maybe they might be. You can, I don't know. But I, I would guess they're not off talking to their friends and relating and talking about their feelings in regard to what their mother's doing. No. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I, that's not what I think is going on. So, but the reality is, is that the seven, the 15 year old has feelings about this because, you know, you you're in high school, right? Of course. Your mother's yeah. an addict on the street. You know what I mean? Word gets out. Right, you know what I mean, and you know what? Wh- where does he stand in the in the um in the group? Is he the alpha male, or is he in the middle? Is he mm-hmm. the bo- you know what I'm saying? And so is he at the as is, is he at the end of you know the butt end of the jokes and the making fun of mom and all that stuff, or is he at the alpha position where he can clamp down on that? And no one dares say anything, but they right. know, you know what right. I mean. No one knows where he's at. Okay, and. Either way, even if he was the alpha, okay, he still has feelings about the fact that his mother is an addict on the street. Of course, right. And everybody knows about it. So where is all that going? How does it show itself? It shows itself in, in 
you know, getting in trouble and with the law and showing yeah, itself. Yeah, breaking rules, getting and, in fights. And not having good school performance and all that stuff. All of that is the acting out because I'm, I have no place to drop what I, you know, what I need to talk about. Right. I know it sounds simple, but it's a little bit of what's going on. It's heavy. Yep. All right, let's go to um, Jada from East Palo Alto. Welcome to the show. Hi. <clears throat> How are Hi. you? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm just, uh, you know, trying to get through the process, and it's not easy. Okay. So, you know, t- um Lately, last couple of days, I've been kind of fighting to get to the other part of my journey and putting my trust and faith in whatever it is that I'm I'm doing today, and it's kind of hard. Um, How long have you been in your treatment experience so far? Um, for about two years. What what are you finding hard and difficult at this moment? Um, you know, like change. Um, you know, things happen where change comes up for a person, um, and it just has been really hard for me to like process. And today, it, it just really kind of took a toll on me, and you know, I. I dealt with it, but I I stayed stuck for a minute because I didn't understand from one place to another um, why change is so hard for me. A lot of times when people, when you, like, I'm going to use your words, when you say change is so hard for you, um, it's set up by not believing or thinking that change is going to occur, and that's just a natural part of the process. Mm-hmm. If you believe and know and expect that change is going to come, we may not know in advance how it's going to manifest itself, but that yeah. as I sit today, may not be how I sit tomorrow. Things may change. I don't know how they may change, but things may change. When that change comes, we recognize what the change is. We adapt. That's what humans do. Animals do. You have to adapt to survive. You adapt to the change. Even if you don't like it, even if it's tough, even if it hurts, you adapt to it because that's how you survive, okay? And then you live on to fight another day. What you don't do, what you can't do, is sit in the negative part of the change experience. Okay. You understand what I mean by that? Yes. Yeah. So the change, the change happened. You had a negative reaction to the change. Okay. Yeah. And even though you dealt with the change, which 
but you, which you had to do because that's part of survival and living. You deal with the change. You sat in the negative part of the change. Okay. The challenge for you is, wait a second, even though I don't like the way this change feels, how am I, what, what in this change am I supposed to grow, grow from? And how am I going to grow from it? That's how you reframe it in your mind. Okay. I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way this change feels. And then you immediately go to, okay, now, somewhere in, within this change, I'm supposed to grow from it. So automatically, your mind starts to search for okay. So okay, how am I supposed to grow from this? What's supposed to what am I supposed to see from this change here? How am I supposed to experience this differently? Right. Just changes the whole dynamic in your mind. Mm-hmm. That's an exercise that you have to practice. Okay. All right. I needed to hear that because. If you think better, you can do better. And I'm I'm keeping that frame of mind. I know there's some good in whatever I'm doing today. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We all don't like change. No. All right, let's go to uh, Samantha from Walnut Creek. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, so I'm newly in recovery. I have four months um, sober, and I'm working how to process my feelings healthily because I tend to use over how I feel because I don't know how to control my emotions. And part of that stems from the codependency issues I have. So I'm wondering... What's the best way to, because I'm a very passive person, what's the best way to manage, you know, the passiveness and the aggressiveness to become assertive? And not let people just walk all over me and not, and then which makes me feel bad for myself and being able to, like, stand up for myself. What? <laughs> um, okay, listen, again, so... I'm working on my codependency right now. Right. And I'm trying to figure out how to be assertive instead of being so passive mm-hmm. with people and learning how to stand up for myself because when I let people walk all over me, it makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And when I feel bad, I tend to use over my feelings, and I don't right. want to use anymore. Right. So I'm wondering how to maintain you know, assertiveness and not become aggressive because being aggressive is not in my nature. I'm a very caring, loving person. But I also let people walk all over me, so I, I'm more passive, and I, and I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to be able to process my feelings, you know, healthily without taking it to, like, the high extreme or high lows and just be assertive. Okay. I, I have to ask you a question first. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me that you are intellectually able to understand what transpires with you. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes, it is. Okay. So if one is able to intellectually understand what transpires with them, their thoughts, their feelings, etc., 
what stops them from taking the necessary action to then deal with whatever they're either thinking or feeling if they right. intellectually understand it? Because for me, sometimes, like I'm just working all this out. Like I recently started seeing a therapist, and mm-hmm. I just started working on this, but okay. I still find myself doing it. Um, and okay. I know what I want, and I know who I want to be, but it's hard for me to practice it because I feel like I have to, if somebody needs something from me, you know, I feel like I, I have to do it or I, I'll take care of them or something like All that. Right. But so, in reality, it's like I need to, let, I need to not do let that. Me, let me interrupt for a second, just in interest of time. So I think what you might have to do, okay, is first, acknowledge that what we would classify you as in the treatment realm, treatment community, Mm -hmm. as an intellectual. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. So an intellectual intellectualizes their feelings. They are the most difficult persons to grasp some of the simple concepts of recovery. Mm -hmm. So what I like to tell the intellectuals is what they have to practice in order to achieve what you have just told me twice. I heard you the first time, by the way. I just want to hear it again. All right. (laughs) In order to accomplish what you have said is you literally have to turn your brain off and pay attention to your gut, okay. your belly, yeah, your brain. Uh, somebody else. Yeah. I'm Go just saying, your brain can rationalize, can turn black and white into gray. I mean, your brain can do all kinds of wonderful and crazy things. Mm-hmm. And so the intellectual has to practice. Okay, let me not. This is what I think, but let me see what what it is that I'm feeling what am I feeling and be able to identify it articulate it okay mm-hmm. and then respond from there it's no different than the person who's in the opposite we call them what, Mr. Producer what do we used to call them reactors yeah okay. reactors is a good term so for it these are people who are ruled by their emotions so no brain comes into think, you know, into their process they have what, no filter whatsoever right and so we tell them the opposite I said and so you have to turn off the emotion and incorporate some brain into it, some into intellect. Okay. And ultimately, for both of those people on the extremes, they have to have a happy medium. It has to come, the intellect has to come down, the emotions have to come up, and they meet in the middle. That is going right. to be your challenge. Okay. Well, so that your makes therapist, a lot of sense. Your therapist will identify the, the, you know, she'll interpret the thoughts as you're talking, the things that you're talking about, crystallize them for you. Then the challenge for you is to speak to what you're feeling. And to be consistent pretty much in it every day and keep practicing it every day until it becomes natural. But you just practice... Try to 
you know, okay, I'm intellectualizing this right now. Let me step back. What, okay. is, what am I feeling? And then speak to what you're feeling. So you could say to someone, hey, listen, you know what? I don't appreciate the way you're talking to me right now. Because it makes me feel like, you know, I feel this, I feel that. I, you know, I statements, of course. And okay. I don't appreciate it. All right. I'll do that. Not what you, not what you think, what you feel. <laughs> Takes practice. We don't want you to lose your intellect. It's very valuable. We just want you to incorporate the belly. Okay. Okay? All right. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense to me. It makes me feel a little bit better, actually. All right. All right. Have Glad a good night. Can. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, the intellectuals. Yeah, the reactors are so much easier. Oh. I don't need to give two thoughts to who you are, what you're thinking or doing. Everything that I need to deal with is right here on the table. But to crack, to do a little cryptography and crack the code of the, the intellectual's mind and get to that raw, root, gut level, like what is really going on with you, every time you're about to respond to me, there's 30 seconds of silence while you process like, just get it out on the table and let's work with that. I have that dynamic with my two daughters. Are they both of the intellectual no. versus reaction? No, one one you have there is no mistaking what she feels. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's out and, there. And the other you have to pry and use reverse double reverse psychology and all kinds of stuff to figure out what she's really feeling, you know. So I have that dynamic every day. Well, how fortunate are you? Congratulations. Well, what, it, lucky what, one. what it does, it keeps you in practice. Keeps you sharp. Keeps you sharp. Yeah, yeah, both ends of the stick. If they were both, uh, you know, keeping their emotions on their sleeves, then I would be uh, dead by now. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. That is good. Do we have time for any more uh, X-Files, sir? How much time we yeah, got? Yeah, we have about two minutes. All right. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Bob from Half Moon Bay, I think I have a reservation to use. What do I do about that? Because I really don't want to go back to all that stuff. Well, you don't think you have a reservation. If you're writing and talking about then you, you think hey, you might, then you got a reservation. You got, you got it. Don't do it, Bob. Stay away from it, Bob. Just, Talk. just say no, Bob. <laughs> uh, Joe, Menlo Park, do you think co-ed treatment is better or worse than same-sex treatment? Who knows? It depends. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a proponent of co-ed. I think you can learn better when you're in the presence of male and female. Um, but if you're not mature enough to deal with that, right. then it becomes well, a distraction. Goes, exactly. You know? It goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. You might need something one way or the other, so that's tailored to the individual, but generally speaking, a lot to be learned when the two sexes can be present together going through this process. Yep. Yep. Uh, Dustin from New York, New York. I was addicted to meth and alcohol. I wouldn't use one without the other. Now that I'm clean, should I attend NA or AA? 
Doesn't either, matter. Either one, Dustin. <laughs> Just as long as you're getting it done and staying clean. Either one will work. Uh, Teresa from Pacifica. <laughs> I'm a habitual. <laughs> I'm a habitual liar. <laughs> I lie about everything. <laughs> how do I become honest? I don't know if there's enough time to answer that one. Yeah. No, how do we know she's even? That's an honest question. I'd like to answer it, but there's not enough time, sir. No, that's that's good. That's good. We do got to wrap it up. Any final words as we're back here in the month of March? Uh, that So the news is we are going to do two shows a month uh, through June uh, due to our uh, obligations uh, with all the changes coming down in our local county and all the things we got to be involved in uh, for the next few months. So um, the way we'll schedule it today is the 1st of March. Our next show will be on March... Is it uh, 16th? That would... Uh, oh, 15th. 15th. 15th, yep. Mm-hmm. So March 15th will be our next live show. Right. Um, and we'll go on that schedule until the end of June. By then, everything should be wrapped up locally. Great. All right, folks, you heard it from the host, right out of the host's mouth. So we will see you all March 15th. We look forward to talking to you then. Again, I would use these off weeks, if you want, to dig into the archives and check out and catch up on some of the podcasts that you may not have caught live. We do appreciate all the ongoing support that we continue to receive. We hope everybody has a productive rest of the week and a safe and fun weekend.
this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4pm Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCG and on Twitter at OCG You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let it push you down and make it